if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. For the last number of months, we've been doing periodic episodes focused on the Eucharist. And this week, we begin the season of Advent. So, I wanted to tie those two things together. Now, in my work, I have multiple roles, and one of the hats that I wear is Dean of the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, which offers lifelong learning opportunities for Catholic adults, kids, and families. So, I produced a series of four teaching videos that unpack the connections between the Eucharist and Advent. Now, they're short, each of them is only four or five minutes long, but I tried to succinctly and powerfully explore how Holy Communion is an echo down through the ages of the Nativity of Christ or, well, Christmas. So we've posted these four videos on the ConsideringCatholicism.com and the LaneCatholic.org websites, as well as on YouTube and Facebook. The series is called A Eucharistic Advent, and they're labeled chapters 1 through 4. Now, I really hope that you'll not only go and watch them, but that you'll share them as widely as possible. Please share them on your social media. Send links to people. You have our permission to show them in your small groups or parishes or on your own websites. Our main goal is that as many people see them as possible and come to a deeper appreciation of the Eucharistic significance of Advent and Christmas. So, for today's episode of the podcast, I sent copies to Ed the Protestant, and I asked him to watch them first and come to our session with thoughts and questions. Take a listen to our conversation. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions, please send me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. Okay, so it's Advent season, or we're almost there. We're recording Next this week, just before it starts. Yeah. And you have a set of videos. Uh, that you sent me ahead of time. I felt like I was, uh, I always feel like I'm on the inside. You, <laughs> you got the, you got the advanced preview. Right, right. These are videos, by the way, the prom promo here is a set of videos on the, the Eucharistic Advent or videos that explain sort of the connection between the Eucharist and Advent. So I, I created four teaching videos, each right. three and a half to five minutes long. Uh, and we've put them on the Considering Catholicism website and, yep. uh, uh, the Lane Catholic website and on the uh, on the YouTube channel, right. so dear listeners, go and pay attention. I, I, and I'll say it now, and I'll try to remember to say it at the end. These are so well done. Kudos 
Um, very compelling. Just really, I, you know, you're going to, and they're only five minutes long, each of each of the four. So these are things I think if you're a Catholic that you're going to, you're going to want to just inspire yourself and watch these things and pass them around. I, I think they're fantastic. Anyway, you, in the very first one, the, uh, you present a really interesting thought, one that I had not, it's just not something I never thought about, that Jesus has not gone off someplace com- and completely left us, uh, completely pulled his presence out of the world. Because every time the priest blesses the host, Jesus is here in the physical world, working salvation into it. Okay, so he's, the more I've thought about this, the more important I see that the Eucharist is to Catholic thought and experience. This is, you can't separate it out. Um, so, so let me try to flesh out what I think here. Jump in and, yeah. and uh, correct me or whatever. There's a tendency in the Protestant world to think of everything sort of metaphorically. Mm-hmm. It isn't actually real and you can't touch it. It's just, it's just an idea. You know, uh, I think the Protestants treat Mary that way, but we treat, we treat everything that way. You know, it's very common to hear people say, well, okay, the story of the flood and all that, that didn't, you know, the parting of the Red Sea. Well, let me jump in there because I, I think there's going to be Protestants listening who say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I'm a Protestant who has a very little literal interpretation of the Bible. So right. I do believe in the flood and, you right. know, this and that. What I would say is that Catholicism has always stressed the incarnation. Right. And it, and it functions in a way incarnational. And, and here's what I mean by that. Obviously, Protestants believe in the incarnation of Christ. What I was trying to get on that first video, uh, the left behind one, is that, and I think what you're getting at a little bit, is that after the resurrection and the ascension, a lot right. of the Christian faith is conceptualized or spiritualized in Protestantism. That's what I meant. Because it's an emphasis on God's word and not so much an emphasis on the incarnation of the church or the incarnation of the sacraments. It's it's not a sacrament. Protestantism isn't as sacramental or maybe a better way to put it is is that Catholicism stresses the sacramental nature of Christianity. Right. And part of that is the integration of the material and the spiritual world so that it's not just that Jesus is with us spiritually. Right. It's that he is with us tangibly right. in the sacraments. Materially, he's with right. us in the sacraments. And maybe that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's what I meant. I, 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 as I wrote the word metaphorically, I thought, I don't know, I think that's right. But I no, think I you've said it better. Um, yeah, uh, because, but, well, I'm just, <laughs> keep interrupting you, your thought, but because I think this is real important to understand. I do have Protestant friends that listen to the podcast and sometimes they'll say to me, oh, you're exaggerating to make, you know, us Protestants look bad because I'm right. a super Bible believing Protestant and a lot of them are. But I do think that Protestantism by its nature, because it stresses the scriptures, the written right. word of God over and above sacraments and the institution of the church and the, in a sense, incarnation of the church when the priest acts in persona Christi and all these things, that in a sense, it creates this this sort of sense of removal where a lot of the faith, because its emphasis is on salvation by faith, faith comes by hearing the word of God, 
which becomes a sort of spiritual unity with Christ and not in the material world through the material church, the material sacraments. Because of that, yeah, Protestantism becomes, I hate to use this word, but I don't know, better one on top of my head is it it, it tends to spiritualize or or conceptualize uh, Christianity, whereas Catholicism preserves that incarnational nature and it stresses right. the tangibility and the material nature of Christ in the world today. Well, that's where I'm going with this. That's okay. what I, that's what I, that's the direction I wanted to yeah. go. We, we have all, so in, in, in Protestantism, we have all this stuff that happened a long time ago. Right. Christmas, for instance. Okay? Right. And, and there's all the stuff that's yet to happen, mm-hmm. all the end time stuff. But right now we're just sort of, you know, I don't know, kind of in the middle of it. We're just kind of waiting. Uh, and so it has the effect for me anyway, of removing the salvation experience from the here and now and shifting it to a sort of a hazy later thing. And I think this ties in with one of the solas, the faith alone sola mm-hmm. belief uh, that there, there, and there ends up being nothing really compelling that I have to do right now. Right. There's nothing... Uh, uh, we're saved and then later we'll die and go to God. And also Jesus will return later, but you know, well, right. Okay. So the five solas, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I think, yeah, you should. I think we called it cracking the Protestant worldview. Yeah. I can't remember which episode number it was. Yeah. Corey and I talked about the Protestant worldview built on these things called the five, these things called the five solas, which are sort of the battle cry of the Reformation. It's faith alone, uh, scripture alone, et cetera, et cetera. And what's interesting is in those five solas, and I think it's what you're getting at. The sacraments don't appear. The institutional, material, the material institutional nature of the church doesn't occur. What what it is, is I believe in scripture, right? Right. That's scripture alone, written scriptures. And then I believe I'm saved by faith and grace alone. And those were a battle cry to say, I don't need a priest acting in persona Christi. I don't need material sacraments. Right. I don't need a material church. A church is an assembly of like-minded saved people, but I don't need the institution and the materiality right. and the tangibility of the church. And so, yeah, by definition, Protestantism sort of separated right. the material, tangible, incarnational nature or aspect of the church from the conceptual spiritual. Right. And, and so I think that this is maybe sort of why Protestants don't feel terribly compelled to work on their sanctification and the working out of their salvation because there isn't anything going on other than what God might do. But I'm not, I'm not you know. I, so let's introduce a, just a little bit of nuance into this, right? Okay. So let's talk about some different flavors of Protestants. Okay. Um, and I'll start with, well, I'll start with you uh, coming out of a Pentecostal background. Right. So, you know, in a lot of Pentecostalism, holiness is stressed, like the holiness right. churches, right? And there, the, the, and part of that is the holiness movement, you have to be real careful about this, right. is they stress holiness. They emphasize it. They don't drink. They don't dance. Right. They don't do this. They don't do that. Holiness is super important. But holiness becomes evidence of salvation. In other words, one of the ways you know that you're saved, that you're full of the yes. Holy Spirit, is that you have the fruits of the Spirit. So right. you act holy to, and not in a sense, prove, but that your holiness would be, uh, you know, talk about evidence, right, 
a sign, right. a fruit of the fact that you're saved. And if you're not acting holy, it sort of shows that you don't have the Holy Spirit. So there is a great deal of kind of holiness movement in Pentecostalism, but you aren't saved by becoming more holy. Right. You be, being holy becomes the, the evidence that you have been saved. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Now, in, I came out of a Calvinist background. And the Calvinist background, Calvinism teaches that our holiness is, a, is an act of gratitude. So God saves us, especially right. through predestination. Right. God elects us, saves us, and out of gratitude, we obey his law and we act good. And, and so if, it, you know, because you've been given this enormous gift of salvation— the appropriate way to act is in gratitude. It doesn't right. add anything to you. It doesn't do anything for you. But right. if you don't, it's like not saying thank you, which would show that maybe you didn't receive the gift. Right. So once again, <laughs> right, you come out of that sort of Calvinist background, oh, you go, well, look at this guy. He's not acting very holy. I guess he doesn't grateful of it, or maybe he didn't get it at all. Or you look at the Pentecostal who says, "Did he? has he been filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know. He's still running around acting right. like a pagan. He probably hasn't received the Holy Spirit. And I think these things are very different than, than Catholicism. And both of them attack Catholicism by saying, well, Catholics think they have to do works theology, which right. is not what Catholicism teaches at all. Right. It says that we're saved by grace, but then we progress in holiness. And that that is the, that is the pilgrim journey of the Christian toward God. Right. So, so this has been my experience is that, you know, okay, so Jesus came into the world to save me mm-hmm. and us, but, but because I don't, this, yeah, uh, so bear with me because um, if you're Catholic, you will have been brought up with this or will you be familiar, but this is the um, thinking about the Eucharist in this way is brand new to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm thinking that I'm sort of thinking this through and you all get to come along. Um <laughs> I don't have, because I don't believe or haven't believed in the Eucharist, I, I haven't had a reason to find my faith to be a very tangible thing. I'm not thinking that way. Uh, so Christmas is a time to celebrate what happened a long time ago. It's important. That's great. But it's not happening now. Does that make sense? It's yeah. not. There's, so so the, the Catholic approach to Christmas looks to me to just be so much richer right. than what I've experienced because it connects directly with my life. So, you know, yeah, we've done Advent candles off and on in the churches I've been in, mm-hmm. uh, but not much weight was ever given to that. Um, it's, it's in the, in the, in my Protestant experience, it's just Christmas. We sing some hymns and we do some right. things. Uh, and there's nothing for me to hitch my wagon to, if I can say it that way. Yep. Um, there's no weight to it. Um, and now, in fact, now that I think of it, I wonder if we didn't do all those things, which now looks so good to me, because they were Catholic. That's why we right. didn't do them. Well, know? okay, so um, I just want to I'll mention that, but then I don't want to go off onto a 10-minute tangent, as I am wont, wont to, to do. do. Yeah. Uh, but, right, a lot of Protestantism, and we've talked about this before, is reactionary. That's why it's called Protestantism. Right. It's protest, right. right? It was those who protested. And a lot of Protestantism, in a sense, is in reaction or protest of Catholicism historically. And that's what they were, the, right. the reformers. They were reforming. They were protesting. Right. You know, in the last 100, 200 years, evangelicalism was an attempt to try to put more of a, a proactive spin on, on Protestant faith rather than mm-hmm. a reactive spin. 
But again, that's a long tangent. I don't want to go down it. I, I want to come back to your, your idea, though. And this was the idea, the central idea in one of these, in these teaching videos, and particularly in the first one, that, uh, the first of the four called Left Behind, because the point that I tried to make in that is Protestants believe in the incarnation while Jesus was here. He was, you know, God incarnate on the earth, right. walked with us, died, rose again, walked right. around, ate fish on the beach with Peter and the right. apostles, right? Completely God, man. Every Protestant of good, you know, faith right. believes that. Sure. The, the issue is when he ascended at Ascension Day and he went up right. into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father and he shall return someday. But between his ascension and his second coming, where is he? Right. And Protestantism will say, well, in one sense, he's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Right. He is also with us in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, wherever we gather in his name, sort of he's there. Right. So what of. does that mean? He's, right. Well, he's there and his spiritual presence is here. Right. But the point I was making is that God loves the material world. We are material right. beings. We were made. Uh, to be not uh, souls that happen to have bodies in the same way that uh, hermit crabs have a shell right. that they put on and take off. We are a fusion intrinsically of a, right. we're spiritual and material beings. We're, we're body and soul. And so for him to be in communion with us, to be with us, to be Emmanuel, as Isaiah puts in the Old Testament, to be God with us, in this time between his ascension and his return, uh, under the, the Protestant viewpoint, we, we don't have any tangible presence. We have no tangible material connection with right. him. That is where the doctrine of the Eucharist is. This is where Jesus in John 6 says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the apostles do that because he is still materially, tangibly with us in the body and blood. Uh, on the altar, which which uh, brings us to uh, video number two. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, Christmas is then not uh, so. In a very real sense, the the incarnation is still going on. Well, uh, I think the way I put it, I want to be real careful because what I said is the nativity was the nativity, but it echoes down through yes, the ages. Love that it, every day, in a sense, he he comes to us again. Right. Yes. So Advent is the Latin, from, from the Latin word adventus, meaning right. coming arrival. In a sense, his, his arrival, his nativity, his coming to us echoes down through the ages because every day on all the altars in all the world, as the priest consecrates the elements, in right. a sense, he comes to us again, or at least his, continu- his, his coming is perpetuated. The thing I love so much about all, about the Eucharist and Christmas is that it's something I can grab onto. Yeah. That, um, it's so much more accessible to me than than what I've lived with all this year. These years, it it, it ties everything together for me. Right. The Christmas story becomes more real right. because my salvation is literally physically being worked out. In fact, when I participate in the Eucharist, it's I'm actually receiving it into my body. I'm not. Right. This isn't something I have to conceptualize as being good for me. This is something that's, that I'm actually. I can put my hands right. on it. And, and, you know, for you particularly, so uh, we're releasing an episode. I'm not sure when exactly it's going to release sometime in the next number of weeks. But you and I recorded an episode 
recently where you went to your first Eucharistic right. adoration. So for the listeners, Ed the Protestant is still a Protestant. Uh, Ed has not entered the church. So you, you are not able to, to receive the Eucharist right. sacramentally. But that doesn't stop you from adoring the Blessed Sacrament. Right. And so even though you don't take it into your body, Jesus is materially present. You know, you can go down, and I've shared with you, you can go into Mass and walk down the aisle to the right. priest and you put your arms, cross right. your arms, cross, and receive a blessing, but you go before the Blessed Sacrament. You can go to adoration and there is Christ, there mm-hmm. is his body present before you six feet away. And so it is that tangible presence. You know, if you think about it, why would God create us as material, tangible people and then say, I'm going to, in a sense, remove my tangible presence from you and I'm only going to give you this sort of spiritual thing. And the point I was trying to make in a couple of those videos is, or really all of them, was that, that the Eucharist is the way that God preserves tangible communion with us. So, okay, this brings me to a question. Video number three, you said the Eucharist is a way of giving thanks, taking mm-hmm. the, is, of, of receiving what God and saying thank you. Uh, so that's and, what, by the way, that's what the word Eucharist means. So in Greek, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. Oh, okay. That's actually literally what the word means. So okay. when we say the Eucharist, or we are saying it is thanksgiving. Right. So, so, you, 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 so you're saying that, you suggest that the best way to give thanks to God is to come to Mass and accept the gift of salvation by participating in the Eucharist, uh, which of course implies that you're serious about this whole thing. And right? it wasn't just I who said that. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that because right. that's Catholic teaching. And, and what it is is that the first, our first and, and the priest says that in the Eucharistic prayer, our first and greatest act of thanksgiving is to simply receive the gift. This is our, right. our duty and our salvation. Right. Uh, it is right and just, our duty and our salvation to give thanks when God gives himself to us in, right. you know, in, in the Eucharist, in, in his self-sacrifice, in his body and blood. The first and greatest way that we can thank him for that is to receive that gift. Right. So my question is, you say in the video that you need to come and take the Eucharist if you're doing it sincerely and in a state of grace. What does that mean? What does a state of grace mean? Okay, so this is, okay, glad you asked that. Uh, In Catholicism, we are to come in a state of grace, which means that we have, uh, we we are not a condition of mortal sin. So what you should do is periodically go to confession and receive absolution. So Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about don't, uh, eat and drink judgment on yourself by coming in sin. And even when I was a Protestant pastor and you were in the church, that one of the right. churches I was teaching at, uh, I used to say that even as a Protestant, that if you, you know, if you need to do, we used to say it all because it was a hip and groovy church. Right. And so we'd say everything hip and groovy. And we'd go, hey, if you needed to like, hey, all of you out there, because like you or somebody would like right. tinkle the keyboard or right. something. And, and, you know, we kind of like drop the lights a little bit and you'd tinkle right. the keyboard. And then I'd say something like, you know, hey, if you need to go do some business, if you need to go do some business with God, go right. do some business with God before you come forward and, you know, take, right. take uh, you know, the Lord's Supper. But that idea that we need to do business, we need to be right with God. Well, in the, in the Catholic Church, again, because it is sacramental, there is a particular way. You don't just go walk out into the alley behind the church and, you know, sort of say a prayer. 
you go to confession and receive absolution. So being in a state of grace means that you have uh, received absolution and you are not in a state of, of mortal sin. And so right. now some people, the tradition, like an old tradition, if you go back a thousand years, people didn't necessarily take uh, the Eucharist every single day. Maybe they took it once a week or once a month or once a year. And then there are a lot of reasons for that because maybe the priest didn't get around or maybe right. lived in a rural area. But part of the idea was, is that you would go to <clears throat> confession before you took the Eucharist. Yeah. And so Catholics are obligated to take the Eucharist at least once a year right. on Easter, right? Yep. And so the idea is, and, and if you look at what our priests do, usually in, in Lent, running up to Easter, they offer all kinds of extra times of confession. But almost every Catholic church, the parish priest is going to say, there's confessions offered before mass right. or on Saturday before masses. Right. So that if you are, if you have mortal sins, you need to confess. Um, you know, some, some priests will say, well, you can kind of save them up and do it once a month or whatever. Right. But that's between you and God. It depends on what your mortal sins are. Right. And that's where you do an examination of conscience. And you should be doing an examination of conscience every day. Am I in a state of rebellion and mortal sin before God? Right. And if I am, I need to go take, take care of that. Right. And then come okay. having received grace. So in video four, and I, I just love this, that you call, you ask us to step forward and respond. And forgive me if I'm, if I'm flying off here somewhere, but I feel like I, I'm making all these connections, right? This, this actually sort of, again, flies in the faith of the faith, face, it's a hard to say, face of the faith alone doctrine, because I don't need to do anything. And that's the, that's the accusation I've always leveled at Catholics. Well, you know, you have to, you're, you're working your way in, but you, uh, you've talked about how our response to God's grace is part of the equation. I think I heard Bishop Barron say this, I, it's part of the equation. You have, this feels to me like a better way to approach Christmas. So, um, so once again, because I want to be fair to my, our Protestant friends out there who, who sometimes tell me that um, I'm overly critical in these podcasts. But look, to be fair, and I know you've, <laughs> you've seen this and participated in this, there's a lot of Protestant traditions where we have the altar call. Right. Come down on the altar call, right? right? And so Ed's going to be up there on the keyboard and he's going to be um, playing right. just as I am. Right. 79 verses of just right. as I am until someone comes right. forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is, and a lot of people keep coming around to altar calls all the yeah. time, or you right. have uh, revivals. Yeah. And so periodically we're going to have a revival at the church and people are going to come down on an altar call. So there is even in within Protestants, or at least certain um, uh, forms of Protestantism, there is this notion of I periodically or whatever, I need to come down and accept God's gift. What they would say is, oh, these Catholics, you know, they're coming down for the Eucharist. You go, but you're coming down for an altar call, right? You're literally coming down to the altar. <laughs> you right. are literally coming down to the altar to receive God's grace. Right. And Catholics are literally coming down to an altar right. to receive God's grace. The only difference is when I come down on the altar call, the pastor puts his hands on my head and prays over me or something. Right. Whereas in the Catholic church, when I come down, the pastor hands me the body of Christ. Right. But in either case, I'm coming down. Right. And I'm coming down to the altar and the pastor, I'm going to meet the pastor there who's going to, in some sense, you know, represent God to me. So, so I don't think it's that unique, but once again, it comes back to the tangibility and the regularness in Catholicism 
And what I said in that video was in the incarnation, in a sense, Christ came across this gulf of time and space and being. Uh, God came, he came all the way to Bethlehem, but, but the shepherds, angels come to the shepherds who are keeping you know, watch over their flocks at night outside the city, and he tells them, go to the manger. And so the shepherds had to take those last few steps. Right. The, the magi who brought the gifts right. take those last few steps. And in a sense, God comes all this way, but, it, it's, right. but we still need to take those last few steps to accept right. his gift and meet him. So <clears throat> now this is just more, a, more of a personal thing. Uh, but if you're a Protestant listening, maybe you can relate. I don't know. Watching those made me just sort of like when we recorded the Mary podcast, it makes me, I, I found myself wanting in on all this. And part of the reason for me is Christmas has just sort of slipped past every year. Now, it's not like we didn't do things or we, you know, we'd have a Christmas program and, and we'd sing Christmas carols several Sundays. It'd be two or three sermons. There's a Christmas time feel to the theme. You know. But in, in, in the world I lived in for maybe the last 20 years I was in it all. We were always trying, we were always striving to sell Christmas in a new and innovative way. Right. And, and rather than take comfort in, in rituals that anchor us to Christmas and its right. truths, right? So we worked every year to find another novel approach. I even wrote um, an entire musical Christmas musical for my church. I wrote the, I wrote the, the songs. I wrote, right. I wrote, I wrote all the arrangements. I wrote the dialogue. The whole thing came out of my mind and I'm, right. you know, I look back at it and I think I'm not sure it did anybody any good. It was right. a big, it was a big deal at the time, you yeah. know? Um, well, you and I both worked in that world and we worked in that world for a little while together. And, and that was it. We, we would have some staff meeting in a, room with whiteboards a number of months early and we would try to come up with some fresh new spin we right. could put on the ball. Right. And what you haven't done yet, and I hope you'll do this year, is come to the Christmas vigil. So in Catholicism, right. we hold, we used to call them midnight mass, except that mid, you know, at least our parish, midnight mass is at 10 o'clock. Right. It goes till midnight. Right. <laughs> it ends at midnight. We've reached a certain age. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but, a vigil mass is always a mass that occurs after sundown the day before a feast or whatever. So okay. that's why like a Saturday night mass, you'll have the readings for the next morning. Mm -hmm. So, right. So the Jews counted the day as beginning when the sun set. Right. So if it's Friday and the sun sets after sunset on Friday, it's Saturday already. This is, Long story is why we talk about Jesus rising on the third day. Right. Um, but anyway, so we do a, a certain number of these vigil masses. One of them is at Christmas. One of them is Easter. And so at 10 o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. it is in a sense because the sun has already set, it's no longer Christmas Eve. It's at least within the, the old liturgical context, right. it is now already it's the, it's the vigil. It's the night before it is already, in a sense, Christmas. Right. So in the Catholic Church, the Christmas vigil is this huge, powerful liturgy. And you know, like you say, it's rooted deeply in rituals that are thousands of years old. And the same with the Easter vigil. And I remember taking a friend, a Protestant uh, friend, to Christmas vigil a few years back. 
And then a couple of days later, I said, so, you know, what did you think? And they said, I know I never want to become Catholic because that was really long and really weird and, right. you know, and really, you know, like over the top. And I just wanted to go to my evangelical thing and sing some Christmas carols right. and be out the door. Uh, but it is a, it is a very, very rich, deep, powerful uh, experience. Well, that was, that leads me, uh, let me see, I, I brought my notes along with me. Let me see if there's anything else I really wanted to ask or say before I get to that. I guess I have to say that I, I, I have wanted for so long to, to, to do something and not to earn my salvation. I understand the difference, but to respond in a physical way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not sure I could even have articulated that a year ago mm-hmm. or more. My rosary beads are an example. So you said, you know, I'm not yet a Catholic, but I'm, I don't know how much, how Protestant I am. I'm, I'm in in that shadow land, right? Um, My rosary beads are becoming a part of my life. And I look forward every time I take them out of the little box and I hold them in my hands and certain prayers come at certain times and I, and the, the whole thing connects together. Right. And it looks to me like the Eucharist could become a big part of my Christmas experience. Mm -hmm. Um, getting me deeper into it. Does the church do anything specifically with the Eucharist during Advent that they don't do at other times? Is there a no, nothing else about no, it? No, the Eucharist is the Eucharist. I mean, and it'll be celebrated in all the masses and there'll be times of adoration. Uh, the liturgy, you know, at the, the Advent liturgy has different sets of readings right. and things like that. Right. And and there's some liturgically things different, but I mean, the, the centrality of the Eucharist is the centrality of the Eucharist. And, and so, and I think that's, that's, what's great is that it is central. It's, it's that, it's that anchor point. Yep. But I want to go back to a comment you just made a moment ago when you said, you know, you want in your life, you've longed to, to have this tangible way to respond to God. I think maybe a way to think about that. It, it is that you wanted, and I know this is what I did, is I wanted to respond to God with my whole self. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right? My, with my whole person. And that in a lot of ways, Protestant evangelicalism, uh, I, I did not engage my whole self. Mm-hmm. And that the sacramental nature of Catholicism and the incarnational nature of the church engages my whole human person. Right. So, uh, do you guys here at this church where we're recording right now, because the, uh, one whirling adventure secret compound is, is a, it's a frozen yeah, wasteland, a frozen right, wasteland right, right now. Uh, we're talking about doing one out there, aren't we? <laughs> oh um, yeah. We're going to put gonna, on parkas and everything. We yeah. have a special, we have a special guest right. coming right. who's uh, going to want to appear on the podcast. And we are like, well, he needs to have the full experience of going out. Right. To the, the and so we're, we're going to be pretending that that's nothing. It's like we're ice yeah. fishing or yeah. something. Right. Yeah. Right. We're going to put on these parkas. Um, so do you guys have, what else do you have other than the Christmas Eve vigil? Do you have other Advent things going on here oh, yeah. that I could come and yes, absolutely. participate in? Absolutely. We do. Uh, our parish does a whole list of things, including an Advent day retreat and a lot of other activities. We have a, we have a brochure. In fact, oh. Corey, who also appears on the podcast, right. has organized all of those things for our parish. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've, I'm, and I will take you down to Corey's office and uh, we'll have him right. give you the whole brochure. One more then. I've, on my way from here uh, this afternoon, I am, uh, before I meet my wife for uh, dinner, I'm going to stop and get some Advent candles for yeah. our house. 
um, what can I do in my home that uh, just, should I just be doing some homework about Advent and yeah. Okay. Well, actually, and again, uh, we'll post a link to this on the Considering Catholicism website. Okay. As Corey has put together and his role here at the Lakeshore Academy, he has put together an entire list of family resources, things that you can do in your home and do as a family during Advent. Right. And um, we'll post a link to all of those. Good. I think that that's all I have yeah. to bring so, to this. So, well, thanks. Yeah, I, uh, check out the videos. Uh, they are called a Eucharistic Advent. And yes. we have uh, four, basically four or five minute long videos that explain the connection uh, in four different ways between uh, the Eucharist and Advent. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. I suggest Ed. Yep. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think, greg at consideringcatholicism.com.